When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. As always, I'm Dan Hilton, joined by Frances Tomas for episode 52 of the Barcelona Podcast. Please subscribe to the show. Check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever. And please give us five stars. Give us a nice little review and help us keep making new shows. Frances, I was gone for episode 51, but I was able to get a little something on my trip to the Camp No in Spain. But how are you doing in the week without me? Um, I was horrendous. I, I cried the whole week and, um, you know, I, I could hardly sleep. Uh, I was thinking of you in my sleep and uh, I was really depressed. I'm flattered, but uh, I have to say, um, apologetically, I can't return the favor. I was, uh, unfortunately, not only was I dreaming of Messi and company, but I got to see them in person. So that was exciting enough for me. Of course, and that was your honeymoon too. So hopefully being with your wife was also very good. Um, no, the program went well and uh, I hope that people... Um, enjoy listening to it. I know thousands of you already have. If you haven't heard it yet, tvpod.link forward slash 51. That's tvpod.link forward slash 51. Or just tap on your podcasting app now and just, well, not now, after this episode, <laughs> and um, go back and, and listen to that. Um, Dan did speak from inside the camp now. And uh, I know that, Dan, you've got some other little stories that you couldn't fit in. Um, is there anything that is burning inside that you want to share with us? Uh, well, I think the one story that you and I were talking about on air, as I was telling you, we uh, not only was it my wife and I, but we were almost in this section of three. And the third person with us in this section in the stands was this older Catalonian gentleman who had come up and put his headphones in, listened to the radio, did not want to speak to my wife or I at all, didn't even notice that we were there sitting directly right next to him. Instead of sitting in the 12 to 15 empty seats to his right, he plopped right down next to us, but ignored us, and the entire time just screamed at the field and was yelling at the field because, of course, Luis Suarez is offsides a bunch, and you don't even know what game I'm talking about when I talk about Luis Suarez being offsides, but this, of course, was the Celta de Vigo game, and... So th this gentleman was, it was interesting to see, uh, I guess I would say a local, someone who has been living and breathing FC Barcelona his entire life, living in Catalonia. For him, it was just another Saturday. He came by himself. So he just puts on his coat, comes to the game, puts on the radio. And it was an interesting thing for me as someone who, you know, has dreamed for half their life of going to the Camp No and being there to see a game. For me, it was this big deal where we took pictures almost every step as I stepped and went to my seat. 
and it was a big deal for me but for him this is just a normal Saturday thing and it does kind of bring it back into a scope of that this while it is a multi-billion dollar team and it's a global enterprise it's still just a football team and they do still just play football matches on the weekends and some weekdays and for the people who live in Catalonia and particularly in Barcelona and then even more particularly in Les Courts, the region where the stadium is on that subway stop that this is just the thing they can do on a Saturday afternoon it's only two three hours of their time and for those with season seats and season tickets like I expected he had again it's just a it was a an interesting dichotomy of the two different people and fans of the team there to see that match. Exactly. And uh, obviously, I don't know um, Abuelito, the granddad that sat next to you, but I'm, I'm fairly sure that he sat right next to you despite having 15 other empty seats because that is his seat. Um, obviously, being a, a ticket holder, a saucy, um, you've got your seat and that guy must have been sitting there for the last 40 to 50 years and um, he doesn't care who's next to him he just goes to his seat and, and that's what he does in terms of the radio again I wasn't there but I'm sure he was listening to Kim, Kim Puyal so Joaquin Maria Puyal in Catalonia radio a vast majority of sources that go to the stadium listen to that um, lately RAC U so RAC1 radio um, have come up really well but Mostly, that's the young younger fans that listen to that. Um, and, you know, once you're in the stadium, it is so loud that even with your headphones, you can hear what's going on. And as you're saying, he had no interest in talking to you at all because he'd never seen you before. And uh, all he was uh, bothered about was, was his shouting and screaming. So let's start the show. In today's episode, number 52, we're going to start with La Gran Pregunta. Then we're going to move on to La Tabla. Uh, the next one is La Entrevista. We were joined, well, I was joined by Mike Ozanian, who is a sports economist, um, who's an expert, have been following plenty of football teams throughout the years and publishes most of his work in Forbes magazine, which I'm sure everyone knows because it's a sort of a trademark um, magazine that, you know, it's the economy experts place. And uh, we were lucky, I was lucky to be joined by him yesterday and um, that interview is coming up for you very soon and we're going to end up with La Ronda so La Ronda of quick fire questions from our fans thank you to everyone who submitted a question episode 52 of the Barcelona podcast starts right here and before we actually even hit La Gran Pregunta Frances we started with the positive news about you know me getting over to Barcelona and and doing that but there is some negative news coming out of Catalonia as well, and it involves one of our main sources and one of the, we'll say, the beats of the FC Barcelona team, and that is the periodical or the periodico of sport. Yes, um, 32 people have been reportedly sacked today, um, 32 out of 80 workers in sport. Um, I just tweeted about it before we started recording, and um, I think it comes to show that doesn't matter how good a job you do, it all comes down to numbers in the end. Um, obviously, sport have been following Barca for nearly a half century, really. And uh, it is sad to see so many professionals that have devoted so much time to the club in our hearts um, and basically now being without a job. Obviously, in the run-up to Christmas, the timing couldn't be any worse. So um, I just want to say thank you to um, all, all of those people that for all the work they've done throughout the years. I also want to thank our Patreons. Um, that have been supporting our show. Uh, we don't really make any money out of this, but at least they're covering our our, our funding, you know, our, our resources in order to host, etc. at tbpod.link forward slash Patreon, or you can just tap on your um, app now and uh, you can get the link there. So really grateful for our Patreons for supporting us, but I'm obviously really gutted that 32 people, 32 families really, are going to have a less favorable Christmas um, because of what just happened. And I think that's, as you talk about the big thing that this is underlined by, you and I, of course, and while we do thank the Patreons we have, this is not our main source of income with full discretion. And we do other things, we'll say, with our day jobs or night jobs, if you will. And so this is something that we're just taking out of that extra time we have. But for those journalists, now they've got to figure out a main source of income for themselves. Um, and so for anyone, especially if you're in the States or wherever you are, the UK, in Spain, in Nigeria, wherever you're listening to this, 
we would ask you as well, if you have the opportunity to, if you have an extra dollar, $2, $3 to spare, if you want to help us as well continue to make these shows because in the States at least, we'll, I'll call it soccer for a second, and the sport of soccer is just dealing with a whole barrage of layoffs and it's difficult for people to find work and make any money in it. So if you're willing to use a few extra dollars you have and help us out at our Patreon, that's the patreon.com, of course, backslash the Barcelona podcast, and just give a little bit to help us out continuing to make these shows so that Frances and I don't have to cut it down to one show every few weeks or one show every month. Just keep helping us make one show per week and potentially getting back up to the two shows plus that we'd like to do in the future again once we get back to it and life kind of gets back to where it was normally. Well, Frances, I guess we should move on for the Gran Pregunta. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. La Gran Pregunta today is should Barca sign Coutinho, Ozil, Arthur, or nobody this, this January? Well, we'll start with this one about Coutinho and you'd think that We've talked about Coutinho so much that we've covered every base, but there seems to be one with a pretty good source, and that being a, a news story that's come out. This is being reported by L'Equipe, which is the French paper that, if you remember, was on top of the Neymar story, one of the few respectable sources, in particular with the Neymar saga over the summer, that Liverpool will be making an offer of 95 million euros for Thomas Lamar, a 22-year-old left-winger creative midfielder who we've also talked about on this podcast over the summer as a Barcelona target. Anyway, Lamar, who's a left-winger creative midfielder for AS Monaco with a 95 million euro bid, could be going to Liverpool, and that, in theory, would be the perfect move to make Felipe Coutinho available for Barcelona. So that's the new Coutinho news that basically it's a domino. If one domino falls, then Coutinho could potentially come to Barcelona. And so that's the new news on Coutinho. Exactly. And uh, I think that also the fact that the Barca board, I don't know if this is news or not, but they, they have once again confirmed to the media and, um, you know, they don't go and talk to the media, but there's people who leak stories out or they've got friends within the media and that obviously that story surfaces uh, that they're still making Coutinho their priority. Um, they think that Liverpool is going to be asking for 150 million euros for their Brazilian star. Undoubtedly, that is quite a lot of money. Um, I would say, and I know Dan agrees, that we wouldn't really pay more than 100 million for him. Um, I've been thinking, considering lately, maybe I will go up to the 120 that reportedly we pay for Dembélé at the start. But, um, you know, 150 million does seem like a lot uh, of money. And I, I, I think that the board don't really see it as, as, as that much anymore. Um, reported in the Catalan media is that basically they're trying to pay in installments. So maybe start with a payment of 100 and a 50 at a later date. But um, that's what they're trying to consider. However, we don't really know if there's any truth in this because according to Liverpool in the summer, they never really tried to sell the player anyway. So all, all the things that we are saying are based on reports from the Catalan media. I think that the feeling in the board is that they're going to be much more confident of signing the player now. But um, again, speculation, which in my eyes, you can't really base much truth in it. But I think the fact that Barca is still behind the player, still sort of leaking stories out, means that there could be something in it. And um, in, in a way, it is a player that would improve our squad. So undoubtedly, that's, that's what the board are chasing. Well, before we talk about Arthur, the Brazilian 21-year-old midfielder, I want to basically boil this whole Coutinho against Ozil debate down to one question. And that's saying that if Coutinho is 120 million euro in cost and Ozil's around 20, meaning obviously Coutinho being 100 million more expensive than Ozil, is the 25-year-old Coutinho 100 million euros more valuable than the 29-year-old Ozil? And so I think that's, to me, how the question boils down, is that Coutinho being 25, you're buying not only the next two seasons, but say the next seven, eight years. And so for Ozil, in theory, you're really only getting, you'd say, what, three to five years maximum. And so that's what Barcelona are buying. They're investing in something, but is a hundred million euro difference matter in that future? Exactly. And I think that it comes down to the fact that what does the team need? And what the team needs is a creator or someone, not necessarily a chubby, I'm not, I don't mean it like that. I mean someone who's an attacking player, who's got vision, who's got drive, who would undoubtedly be able to connect with Suarez and, you know, perhaps more importantly, Messi in the middle. And 
not sort of becoming an instant, an instant starter, which I think he would be, but someone who can work alongside Iniesta and obviously Rakitic and, and the rest um, midfielders that we've got in order to make the team better. And I think Coutinho will make the team better right now. Arguably, Ozil will make the team better right now as well. But obviously, as you just mentioned, in a long-term sort of basis, you've got Coutinho being a much more effective investment. Um, arguably, if you pay £100 million more for Coutinho than you would for Ozil, you're paying a 20 million fee for the next five seasons in order for him to become 30. I don't, I don't know if what I just said is very clear, but um, I think that, you know, if he is going to stay here for the rest of his career or until he's like 32, 33 years old, then 150 million over eight years literally is 20 million per season, which in a way is what you would get for Ozil, if, you know, a little bit like that. So... Yeah, it, it's it's a difficult decision for the club to make, but um, I think they're still right to chase Coutinho as the first priority simply because of the longevity that his contract would have. Well, let me pivot a little bit to Arthur because you mentioned Xavi in there, and that's what's been intriguing about this 21-year-old Brazilian midfielder who Robert Fernandez has seen in person over for Grêmio. We profiled him briefly on a previous episode, that of course being the Barcelona Podcast 51, so you can check that out a little bit. Also on show 50, he got his first mention quickly in briefing. Anyway, Arthur hasn't had a huge number of professional sample size, and there's only a few highlight videos available for him on the internet. And the second any player gets linked with Barcelona, though, they pop up on YouTube, all the highlight videos, all the skill videos, like crazy. But nevertheless, he's a player that could cost around $30 million, but he also has a buyout clause of €50 million Euro that would have to be negotiated down even. So he is not going to be cheap for a player that has not had a ton of professional experience, even that being in Brazil, not even in a major European league. That said, the other question I have is Coutinho, Ozil, we know what they are, obviously, because they've been professionals for a while, and they are that creative attacking midfielder in I don't want to overuse the, the, the Iniesta role, but that's kind of how we do personify our three midfield roles in a 4-3-3 for Barcelona. There's the Busquets role, there's a the Xavi role, and there's the Iniesta role. And any player coming in, we want them to play in the Barcelona system, then they have to fit one of those roles. So Coutinho and Ozil, even though Coutinho can play in the left wing as well, Coutinho is that Iniesta role, as is Ozil. But Arthur has been likened to Xavi and obviously a much less less experienced Xavi and I want to be really really careful I know we're walking on eggshells saying the word Xavi in the same sentence as any player that's only 21 years old and doesn't have much of a professional career however he is that kind of midfielder profile wise Arthur is of a player that moves the ball quickly controls the game shuffles the ball side to side and we don't usually use the word shuttle often but that's what he does he he pivots he moves on the ball quickly turns quickly in tight spaces and likes to just play those nice, small, easy balls and control the tempo and the pace of a game. And so for me, these three midfielders are different players and play different roles. So the question is, ultimately, what do Barcelona desperately need? Because if we're talking about January, then yes, you're saying we have to go all in on Coutinho or all in on Ozil. And that's why to me, I think Arthur, if he's going to come to the club, he comes in the summertime. So if Coutinho or Ozil deals don't happen in January, particularly the Ozil deal, I think if that doesn't happen in January, that one's dead. Coutinho could still come in the summer, still a possibility. But for Arthur, that one I think is more likely to happen in the summer, particularly if Coutinho or Ozil don't happen in the in January window. I'm going to say something very stupid here. It all comes down to melons. You know, you, you, you're hungry for melons. You're, you're starving. What are you going to buy? Are you going to buy the melon that you need right now and it's going to be delicious straight away, but it's more expensive? Are you going to buy the melon that mm, sort of has been ripe for a little while but would still taste nice? Or are you going to for, for the one that's green and unopened? I think that's what the question comes down to. And that's that's what it is. Our listeners know I really like whoscore.com and, and I always compare different stats. Um, just looking at this season, because we want to play it now, you know, I understand that Ozil and Coutinho have got more experience, but then again, as you mentioned, it wouldn't be a comparable size. So this season, and this is nine games for Coutinho, 12 for Ozil, and 27 for Arthur, because obviously the Brazilian season is different. Um, this is how they fare. In terms of goals, Coutinho's got the most with four. Assists is Ozil with five. 
shots per game, it's down to Coutinho to lead with 3.7. And uh, please note that Ozil is 1.5 per game. So, you know, it's more than double for Coutinho. And in terms of Arthur, he's only got 0.4 per game, meaning that Coutinho is shooting at least eight times more than Arthur per, per game. Um, in terms of dribble, Coutinho again, 2.8, whereas the others, Ozil 1.1 and Arthur 0 0.6. Uh, the player that receives the most fouls is Arthur. The one that gets the most yellow cards is also Arthur. And in terms of overall rating, who scored rating, Coutinho is currently at 7.8, which is very high. Ozil is at 7.1. And Arthur, we can round it up to 7.0. So according to whoscore.com and the main stats that I just went through, the best player out of the lot is Coutinho. And that sort of links to what we were saying earlier. So I think we've kind of broken down all the options, Frances, as we have many times. So ultimately, I think we probably would agree that if Coutinho is available for a reasonable price, it's always going to be Coutinho. And then I think then you'd have to say Ozil would be a stopgap, and then Arthur's a long-term prospect. So I would say that we don't worry about Arthur until the summertime, I think, if he's available. But I think the one thing, though, the caveat about Arthur I want to add in there is that you talked about the Brazil season and that in the Brazilian league those deals are getting done now when they're out of season so once the winter transfer window opens up in Europe there's going to be that opportunity for player who is out of his current season so it's not like the team is expecting or you're taking him away from a team mid-season and I think that's a big thing about how Arthur could potentially be available in January as well but I think you both and I you you and I would both agree that it's continue if he's available at a reasonable price as has been the moniker that this podcast has had for many, many weeks and many months now. Exactly. And I think at tvpod.link51, so our previous episode, episode 51, um, we discussed, well, you went there, were you? <laughs> you were having a great time in Spain, Barcelona and Catalonia. Yeah, but Frances, Frances in, in my defense, though, we, have to, we also do have to pull the curtain back again and say that I did edit the show. So I did hear the entire show many, yeah. many times over. <laughs> That never happened. That was all me. You know, I'm very good at editing. Um, <laughs> not, not really. Um, yeah, so what I'm saying, first priority right now is to offload Arda Turan and uh, free up some what Americans call cap space. Uh, we just call it the wage, wages in the team. And uh, once that's happened, then, then go all out for the player that we need. And I think that if he's available, Coutinho has to be the first option. I would then, if that didn't happen, I would go for Ozil. And then Arthur, you know, at 21... He could be assigning for the summer, but, um, you know, deep down, I'm sure our listeners sort of know where I'm going with this already. Deep down, I think that people like Alanya, Sergi Roberto, and hopefully even Rafinha should be given a chance beforehand um, because in a way they're free, they're ours, they know our system. And as good as Arthur can be in the future, everyone that I just mentioned already knows the Barca system. So um, if I'm going to develop a 21-year-old, I'd rather it be one of our academy players so we can invest heavily on players who... Uh, internationals, worldwide stars right now that can add to the team tomorrow morning if they were signed. Yep, I agree with that. So with that, we'll move on to La Tabla, where Barcelona, the first team, lead the table by five points with 39 points. Valencia behind them with 34, Atletico Madrid with 33, Real Madrid eight points back of Barcelona at 31, and Dip Deportivo of course, up next for Barcelona. But by the time you have this in his ears, that might have already happened. Nevertheless, for Barcelona, they're in a pretty good spot. Five points up, but still five points can be erased in a hurry if you don't get results against teams, particularly like Deportivo. But as you normally do with La Tabla, we don't really focus on the first team. We focus on both the B team and the Femini team. So Barcelona B, here's some big news for them. Finally, they get off the losing snide, a 2-1 victory over Sporting Gijón with goals in the 14th minute by Carlos Alenia, a name that obviously listeners to this podcast and fans of FC Barcelona know well, and a goal by the other guy in Jose Arnaith, another player that we have profiled on this podcast. And then they were able to hold on to that result up 2-0 after a 50th minute goal by Alex Perez of Sporting Gijón brought it back to a 2-1 scoreline. And with those three points, Barcelona B have moved back from 19th in the table up to 17th on 20 points. And they're four points clear of the relegation zone after being just one point clear of the relegation zone before the weekend. And by the time of our next show, however, tons and tons of games for Barcelona B. And by that, I mean there's two. Cadiz on Friday and Abaceta on Tuesday. 
So things could certainly change in a hurry for Barcelona B. And also to note, and this will be a question that I'll answer for one of the listener questions later, in two 18-year-olds, Chumi and Manchu, an 18-year-old center back and a midfielder respectively, both of Juvenil A, made the bench but did not yet make their Barcelona B debut. So all around, a big day for Barcelona B where they were able to integrate some younger players, at least on the bench, and they got a victory, a much-needed victory. And so for Barcelona B, things could be looking up, but again, Francesca, it's only one result. Absolutely, and I think it comes down to the fact that these young players are growing. Um, as we discussed in the podcast before, it's not necessarily about them winning the game, it's about the progression and the, the, the growth that they're exposed to. Obviously, playing against Sport in Gijón, um, I've got loads of friends in Asturias, in Gijón and in Oviedo as well, and uh, I know that they, it is a big club. You know, it's a historical club that, in their eyes, and I would say in my eyes as well, shouldn't really be in the second division simply because of the fan base behind them, the years of history, and the fact that, you know, their budget, when they're in the first division, is actually quite respectable as well. Obviously, one of the bigger teams in the second. So going against such a huge Segunda División club and winning, that is great. And for me, that's what I take. The growth, the minutes that obviously Alaña is, is getting, um, Abel Ruiz getting some playing time here and there as well. And uh, not just them both, but the whole team sort of pulling together under Gerard Lopez's guidance. That's that's really great to see. Um, I want to mention Costas and, um, you know, the fact that he was called up for the first team. And uh, although Vermalen has been excellent, I would really like to see him getting some play in time. Maybe not necessarily in El Clásico against Madrid, which obviously is now upcoming and at the back of everyone's minds, but um, in let's say, more accessible games um, in the next couple of months because, obviously, um, with Mascherano, quite definitely now, it's not confirmed yet, but um, all the Spanish, Catalan and worldwide media are reporting that Barca have agreed to let him go, which I, I think is a mistake. But then again, you know, he's got a huge wage and you don't want someone like that unhappy in the team. I would still have made him stay, but, you know, that's, that's beyond the point. I think that we need to get... La Masia graduates and La Masia sort of players that get promoted um, to the first team in order to cover up those gaps. Um, it makes sense from the economical point of view, but obviously with the long-term growth in mind, I think particularly Costas would be a great step forward. But, you know, going back to original point, really great to see that all of these players, young players, are getting quality playing time against great teams and in a way coming victorious, helping them in the standings. Um, it's all good. Speaking about all good, the Barcelona Femini have some pretty good news as well. Even better, I'd have to say, than Barcelona B. And that not only did the Barcelona Femini dominate Espanyol, local rival 4 nothing, which obviously we always celebrate the victories of Espanyol in the local derbies. There were goals by Mappi, Lecky Martins, of course, two for her, and Tony Dugan added one. And they were rewarded as Rayo Vallecano defeated Atletico Madrid 1-0 to help the Barcelona ladies retake first in the table on 34 points. And they have a goal differential of plus 46 compared to Atletico's plus 24. So that's what gives them first in the table. Yet up next for the Femini, however, is that same Rayo Vallecano side that upset Atletico. So now the Femini are going to have to take care of business again. But as we said, said, they were going to need something to go their way to help that race again, where it seems really like a two-team race between Barcelona Femini and Atletico Madrid's female side. And at this point, Frances, the Barcelona Femini have righted the ship and things are looking good again. And not only that, but they are setting records galore. Absolutely, yeah, they, they definitely, definitely are. Beating Espanyol, and I know that is the Catalan Derby, and I know that in their eyes we're the biggest rivals, but I care very little about Espanyol. Um, they are the second Catalan team, and arguably you could say that this season they're not even that, because Girona is doing better. I think they're currently ninth in the La Liga table, and I have to say I'm very happy about that, because all Espanyol do is look at us um, enviably, and when we play against each other, just kick us and whistle our players and insult um, Gerard Piquet's wife and family. So, yeah, delighted that we beat those periquitos again. Please note the word again, 4-0. Um, anyway, in terms of the Barca Femeni, they've scored 50 goals in La Liga after just 13 games, which is impressive, which is a 3.84 goal per game ratio. Um, it is 
you know, in they are in the way of beating the historical record in in the Femini Liga, which is fantastic. Um, English star Tony Duggan is the top goal scorer of the team with 10, 10 goals, which is great. After that, we've got Andresa Alves, who's got eight, and Barbara Torre and Lika Martens, our Ballon d'Or winner and, and arguably the best player in the planet, has they both have seven. And, you know, the list is pretty much endless. We'll spend all podcasts reading this because 17 different Barca Femini players have scored this season. I think that's credit to Fran Sanchez, the, the coach of the Femini team. And uh, it's a great example of the togetherness and the collective sort of drive that these teams have in order to be champions. Great to have them at the top of the table again. And uh, we'll keep looking at the Barca Femini because it really, they, they represent Barca in a very professional and a very dedicated way. And we're proud of them as we are of Barca B and the first team, of course. So we don't have time for La Bolsa today. So I think our three for La Bolsa, instead of players, we'll just say the three for La Bolsa with their stock going up would be the Barcelona B team, the Barcelona Femini, and I guess you'd say the first team as well because they are still unbeaten. Yeah, and going down is Espanyol and the ladies team and uh, pretty much Espanyol as a whole club. All right, so instead of continuing to insult uh, Espanyol and if we do have some fans of that club listening to this show as well, we're going to move on from that. And you have a special interview. You spoke to Mike Ozanian. And for those here in the States, you might even know him from Yes Network. But more particularly, he has been in full on in Forbes.com in the pub, in not only the written publication, but also on the website. So without further ado, here is Frances' interview with Mike Ozanian of Forbes.com. Right, so we are joined by the great Mike Ozanian, a seen in Forbes magazine. Um, do you, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am delighted to be talking to you. Um, I saw one of your articles online and um, they say that if you don't try, you never get. So I thought, let's, um, let's contact him, see if he would like to come on the show. And we are honored to have you. Oh, it's an honor to be on your show. Fantastic. So um, I saw the article. It was called, Jose Bartomeu is not satisfied with Barca's record revenue. Before I say too much about it, what was the thinking behind the article? You know, Barcelona is one of the most iconic sports teams in the world. And I say this from an experience of following the business of sports for over 20 years. And there are only a handful of teams uh, in the world whose name carries so much emotion, so much success, both on the field or in the case of Barcelona, as they say, on the pitch, and also financially. So I've always been intrigued at finding out how these select few teams manage to become so successful. So over the years, I've been in touch with various executives at Barcelona to kind of understand what their strategy is and what they're up to. And, And really, what I find amazing uh, is teams like Barcelona, how they manage to make their business as big as their brand. And, and that, that's really what I find fascinating. Would you say that that is linked to sporting excellence? Or would you say that that's to do with the community behind and the sort of fan base around the world? I think it has to do with how they combine all of the things you're mentioning together. So when you look at a team like Barcelona, they obviously have, depending on whether you ask a Barca fan or a Real Madrid fan, either the best or maybe the second best soccer player in the world. But you got Lionel Messi, who is just absolutely, there's no other player like him. Mm-hmm. And the other players that they've had have you have managed to give the team tremendous success in the field, not just in La Liga, but also the Champions League. If you look at consistently over time, excuse me, they're one of the most successful teams in Champions League in terms of always being there, always having a shot to win it, which not only makes the team a lot of money, 
but also gets the name out there globally because soccer is the most popular sport in the world. So whether you're in Spain or whether you're in Asia or whether you're in North America or South America, you see the Barcelona name, you see the Lionel Messi name. This is why Barcelona gets more kit and jersey sponsorship revenue than any other soccer team in the world because it's what that name Barcelona means. It means excellence. And you just see it through consistency year after year after year. So would you say the United States fan base, with you know, the vast majority of our listeners are from the United States, would you say our fan base in the States is changing? Are they spending more? Are they more interested in the team? Because obviously you followed the team for years. So um, have you seen a change in yes. that respect? Yes, that's a very good question. No, they're following it more and more because now over the last three, four years, the amount of games that are being telecast where we could see on television or we could see being streamed is increasing. Fox does the Bundesliga, Viet TV does you know, uh, Spanish and Italian soccer. Um, the English Premier League is on NBC Sports. So we are seeing all these great games, and that is getting the fans here more engaged in soccer. And, you know, one of the things about being able to see so much soccer is that it's even making the game more popular with the youth here. So in my opinion, when you see these top teams, the fans here are latching on to them. And I could be a fan of, let's say, of Major League Soccer in the United States, like uh, New York FC, mm -hmm. but at the same time, on a global stage, be a fan of Barcelona. One doesn't exclude the other, in my opinion. I, I think it, it builds on it. And now, in fact, we're seeing some of the great European players, either when they're developing before they become great, play in the United States, or after they reach the peak of their career, they come here. So I, I think there's still a lot of room for growth. Yeah, I, I, I was going to ask you that, actually. There's a lot of players that develop their careers here, and in the last sort of big contract, they tend to go to the States, um, say Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, and... Hopefully, Javier Mascherano not too soon. I think that's the last rumor coming out of the Catalan media. But um, how do you guys feel about getting the, these world-class stars, but at the end of their careers? I think that it helps a little bit, but mostly it's going to help, I think, in the development and the following of our younger players. It's going to take, I believe, many years, maybe still two or three more generations before the American players can come close to the top European leagues. But the money is so great, that the, and the money is getting bigger and bigger, that the competition for these players is, is increasing. And we've just seen, you talk about Barcelona, this is why the renovation of the stadium there and its modernization and how it's going to drive so much more revenue for Barcelona is important beyond just the fan experience because you have competitions for players like Neymar from other teams that could even start coming in some cases years from now from the United States. So yeah. to remain at the top of the game, you're going to see uh, the amount of money spent on these great players continue to increase. Yeah, so I expect over the next several years for really to be no competition To the, to the top European teams, but it is going to be getting more and more expensive to maintain the status uh, of being a championship-caliber team. That's really interesting. Um, I'm sure you followed in the summer uh, the whole Neymar story, as you mentioned, and uh, in a way we were muscled out of the market, which is not something that Barcelona are used to experiencing, simply because the PSG, and you know, you can debate how they're actually funded, but um, they bought a buyout close, they took arguably our second best player, if not the one with the most potential for the future. Obviously, Messi fans won't like to hear that. And uh, But we just didn't have an answer. So do you think that's a change in European football in terms of um, moving for the future? I think uh, UEFA is going to start looking very closely at making sure that teams are self-funding. And without getting too complicated... What I'm saying is we've seen now them looking at AC Milan and the new owners of AC Milan because 
it doesn't look like they have the money after buying the team from Berlusconi that to, to fund the players that they have and of the and all the new players that they've signed. And they're also looking at PSG now because where do you draw the line if Cutter is directly putting money into the team as some fund in that country? It's really not money that the team is generating. So you don't want to get to the point where a country itself is actually funding a team. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure the team. So I, I think they're going to be looking at that. And I think they're, they have a new top guy there from last year who I think is starting to do a good job. So I, I think the next thing they're going to look at is, you know, you have to look at teams like Barcelona, for example, who spend a lot of money and a lot of resources on developing young players. Those players, too, can be taken from other teams. So I think that's also another thing that they may – want to start looking at more closely because you want to make sure if I'm investing all this money in a, in a player and I'm training them and developing them that at the same time, you know, perhaps it, there should be something there where I get to at least get the first chance of keeping this player for a while. This was, I think, always the case, but I think it's become so competitive because it's become such a big business that I think that they're really looking at this a lot more now than they were, say, just three or four years ago. Exactly. The, the whole landscape is changing. I fully agree with you. Now, going back to something you mentioned in passing earlier, which was the MLS, um, there's a certain youngster playing in Germany, which is Christian Pulisic, that seems to be, or everyone is saying that will be, the future of uh, American football. Obviously, f with your financial background, that probably is going to be great business. Uh, would you say the fact that he's American and there's all of that backing behind would hinder his possibility of succeeding in European football or be an advantage? No, I, I, I think when it's an individual like that, and if he's as good as they say, it's a talent where he's going to have to make a decision and say, do I want to play in America? Well, I'll certainly make less money because here in America, Major League Soccer has, as you know, a salary cap. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's one exception per team. They used to call it the Beckham rule from when David Beckham came here mm -hmm. and they brought him to play for the Galaxy that can make above the salary cap. But it's the opportunity to make as much money uh, that you can in Europe, of course, simply isn't there. You know, if he's as talented as they say, it, I imagine it's going to be very tempting for him to give up some of the top European clubs who, of course, can pay him a lot more. Uh, I've always thought that, or at least watching the strategy was to at least for a while, at least to get to, towards the prime of your career, you want to play for a top European club, which can also help you build endorsements and then come here to the United States. But... The question you ask is very uh, relevant because if he were to come here in the beginning, if he were to be successful, it could be something that could help the United States teams get more young players. Mm -hmm. It would be. It would be a way in. Um, our co-host, Dan Hilton, um, he's American and we had a show around, I can't even say a couple of months ago, where um, he basically went on on one <laughs> about the MLS system. Um, obviously, you guys have missed the World Cup this season. Um, and you know we don't, it's not something we have every season. How do you feel that is the impact going to be, not just in terms of mentality and, and you know being disappointed, but from a financial point of view? It's tough. I you know it's. I don't think the financial problem is the big one um, long term. Uh, in my opinion, I think because as you pointed out, you know it's every four years. And I think the prestige and the notoriety and the coverage that it gets is 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 very important here. Um, you know, where we're trying to still we're in the early stages of soccer, still trying to grow soccer, uh, and and so that means at, at the least we've got to wait another four years. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, it, it, it hurts us more than anything. Uh, if you look at you know, some or which is which is the marketing arm of MLS, which gets involved in the World Cup and all that, as you know, mm -hmm. you know, they're doing well. 
And uh, the financial hit from this isn't something that's going to drastically hurt them. We're seeing the expansion teams, that is the new teams that are added here. They're still attracting very high numbers, you know, uh, some of the recent expansion teams here in New York and Los Angeles mm-hmm. were $100 million. Now, of course, that's nowhere near what teams are worth in Europe, but still, just three or four years ago, they were going for $50 million here. But I, but I think it's more from a coverage standpoint. You know, I think it would have been really great to be able to be able to watch it. It would have drawn more interest on television. Okay. That's really telling as well. Um, last question. You mentioned, I think it was the first answer, that you've been dealing with the Barca board now over the summer, despite the fact that the club sort of economically are doing all right, and obviously after selling Neymar, that, that is always going to help. They were under a lot of pressure from the fans simply because the quality of the squad had diminished. Um, in your experience, can you justify um, having more money in the bank in exchange for quality on the pitch? What are your thoughts on that? I, I get, I've gotten the sense from watching Barcelona that they they remind me somewhat here if there's a comparison would be to the New York Yankees in baseball mm-hmm. where there may be a period of a season or so where it doesn't seem to be that they're spending as much as they can but the reality seems to be that in a year or two down the road they they will and they're waiting for the right opportunity i I've, i would very highly doubt that Barcelona would allow itself to diminish on the pitch simply because it's not spending. It's just not something they've done throughout their history. Um, you got to remember, and I, and I think we, we all have to remember, that they have an enormous investment in their new stadium. So they know, believe me, from talking with them, that in order to maximize that stadium investment, they're going to have to field a good club. So I, I really don't think not having the talent uh, is, is something that they really want to risk. I expect them to be right up there. Very interesting. I think that the fact that Coutinho was chased throughout the summer um, may have something to do with that. And the fact that Liverpool, in the end, they say that they never had an offer. Um, in Catalonia, we tend to believe that they just didn't want to sell. Um, Mike, that is really, really telling, and I'm really thankful for your time. Um, before you go, oh, I enjoyed it very much. Of course, well, we did too. That's fantastic. Then, uh, Mike, where can our listeners follow your work? Oh, it's at Mike Ozanian. You can follow me on Twitter, right there. Perfect. We also, and if you want, yep, yeah, at at M I K E O Z A N I A N on Twitter. And you could also read my posts at Forbes.com. That's perfect. We will add it to our show notes as well. So if you're listening to the show right now, just tap on your show notes and make sure to follow Michael Zanian on Twitter and Forbes.com. Mike, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for your The time. honor was all mine. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Again, that was Mike Ozanian from Forbes.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Ozanian, where he also does tweet about all of his different work across the different publications he works for. And with that, it brings us to our favorite part of the show, La Ronda or the quick fire questions. And we've got a bunch. And now that I'm back, Frances, I can help out. And so you don't have to handle them all on your own, even though you did that just well. So we'll start with Athletic FC on Twitter. How is La Masia faring and who should we keep an eye on? And he mentioned Iker Bravo and, of course, the likes of Alenia and others. And I would actually reference Athletic FC to earlier in the show when we did speak about two of the Juvenal A players who made the Barcelona B bench, and that is Chumi and Machu, two Spanish 18-year-olds, a center back and a midfielder. And I would also have to say that for the younger players, it's so difficult to judge, and so that's why... I think it's usually a safe bet for Francesca and I to really only talk about the Barcelona B players and those that are seen to potentially be in the first team. But the other player is one we've mentioned about two, and that's Sergio Gomez, who won the silver boot at the U-17 World Cup. And he's a player that we certainly want to keep in a Blagrana shirt for the foreseeable future. And he's another player, much like Elena, who they're bringing along very slowly, where he is just starring for the Juvenile A players, even though he's probably talented enough to be 
making certain appearances for Barcelona B, but they have the depth there and don't necessarily need him in this instance. So he's getting the opportunity just to make his name at the lower levels in the UEFA Youth League. And he's one that even the board brought along with Alba Ruiz and two or three other youth players, including Jorge Cuenca of the Barcelona B. He's a left-footed center back. Those players, and I think two more, were brought actually to the first team and they were sat down in the seats at the Camp No, and someone in the board, whether it was Bartomeu or somebody else, even said to them, or Valverde, I'm not sure who it was, said, we want you to be here someday. You have a future in the first team. And it was kind of a select number of players. So again, unless it's one of those highly touted guys, we're not going to throw too many names at you because, again, if you're 16, 17 years old, we don't know which of the 1% of them are going to wind up being first teamers. Exactly. I totally agree with that. I think that you know, having a infantile A player, having a hundred thousand followers on Instagram is just insane. Um, it's not something that will help the development at all. And um, I think that that becoming a distraction is going to be detrimental to the to the player's future. Obviously, you mentioned Sergio, you mentioned Abel from Barca B. Uh, we mentioned the Barca B players. Obviously, Xavi Simons is the only one that I don't think you mentioned there that has a huge spotlight on him. Um, I've got really good reports from my, I'm going to say my scout team, but um, my Chivatos, so the people that watch them week in, week out, saying that he's progressing really well and uh, still, you know, being very influential within within his team. But um, I would say I don't want to add anyone else. I just want to say that La Masia are getting good results, but once again, it's not all about results, it's about growth, and we're going to leave it there. So let's go back to the first team, Kule for life, asked, is it smarter to buy in January before the World Cup in the summer when the players' values go up? It, it would be. It would be. But then again, you need to buy the right player. And um, as we mentioned throughout pretty much the whole show, Coutinho has to be the priority. And I think it makes very little sense to invest on anybody else that won't be able to make an immediate impact because obviously we'll have it through the season. And honestly, hand in heart, if we are to invest on anybody long term, it really should be someone who's already with us. Obviously, Alanya, Cucurella, Palencia, Costas, and you know, not going any further, Sergi Roberto, hopefully Rafinha recovers fully and we can invest on, on his future as well. I think those are the players that need to carry everything forward. Um, obviously, Oriol Busquets, I haven't mentioned. That's someone else that impressed replacing the actual Busquets, <laughs> so Sergio. Um, not related, strangely, because it's not really a common surname back in Catalonia. But um, I think within that core of players that, that needs to be the 30-40% of La Masia graduates that we definitely need in the team and everyone else needs to be sprinkled with um, very high-quality, world-class stars that you know we're going to have to go and sign because the talent that we've got in La Masia um, needs to be complemented. And the other thing I would remind Kool-Aid for Life is that Barcelona generally do not do a lot of business in the January window. So unless it is one player you can't expect to see multiple faces show up. It's probably going to be one player or or none, if that, as Frances had mentioned. Another question from Tharun Kumar on Twitter. Who should be in Barcelona starting 11 for El Clasico? And I guess we should have answered another question about... We'll answer actually another question first before we get to that one. And that's from Abdullah on Twitter. Should we rest our big players, especially Busquets, who's one yellow card away from suspension, and or Messi ahead of El Clasico? So, Frances, I'll have you answer Abdullah's question first about how we should work our lineup against Deportivo before we answer the question from Tharun about who should be Barca starting 11 for a Clasico? Okay, well, this is a very, very good question. I think this could be controversial. I would play them both. You know, they're both professionals. They, they do know that they're one yellow card away and we need to win every game. This is not like it's the Champions League final or anything like that or a semi-final. This is La Liga and the three points that we're going to be at stake against Deportivo are the three points that we're gonna be, that are going to be on stake against Madrid. So basically, we need to win both games. Um, in terms of the lineup for the Deportivo match, I'll leave both of them in. But um, moving forward to the Real Madrid lineup, for me right now, you've got Ter Stegen on goal. You've got obviously Umtiti and PK in the middle, but Umtiti unfortunately not feeling very well. Based on recent performances, for me, it has to be Fermalen. I mean, it would make very little sense to, to change that. Um, as a right-back, for me, it's Semedo. You know, I know that Sergio Roberto has been getting the starts 
in the last couple of games since his return. But for me, the most reliable right back we've got, particularly defensively, is Semedov. So for me, he starts. Then I will put Alba, who is on fire lately, as a left back, undoubtedly. Then I will have Sergio Busquets, who would not have gotten a yellow card in the previous game. <laughs> uh, then it's, it's Iniesta and Rakitic. I understand that a lot of people, particularly in social media, don't like Rakitic very much, but he is a player who gives you that consistency from a defensive perspective that makes Busquets stronger, will allow Semedo to push forward, and uh, that's the partner that Iniesta needs in the middle. It's not going to happen, but I will have um, Luis Suarez as a central striker. I will have Messi on the right, and based on recent performances, I will give Alcácer the start as a left winger. Now, I don't think that's what um, Valverde is going to do, but for me, that is the best formation and the best 11 for Barca right now. Although, I think he's going to go for a 4-4-2 and probably put someone like Paulinho in the middle to add consistency. Yeah, I have a feeling that this upcoming El Clasico could be one of the low, the lower scoring versions of the derby that we've seen in quite some time, simply because of the way both teams are playing so far this season and the formations that they're opting for. And that kind of leads us into another question that Manio asked that while we do have Deportivo, what should Barcelona do tactically to beat Real Madrid with the injuries in the back line and no Dembele? And we know that Barcelona hasn't been particularly dominant early on in games. How can they handle all of that? And are there any changes that should be made to deal with Real Madrid? I think that, as I said just now, Valverde is going to stick to his 4-4-2. I think that is a formation that make Barca very strong against teams such as Juventus, for example. Um, and even without Messi, we, in a way, dominated that game and we didn't really... We weren't exposed at the back, put it that way. So I think that that's what he's going to try and do. Um, don't be surprised if André Gomez is thrown there in the midfield. Definitely Paulinho, I think, is going to start. With a 4-4-2, um, he's going to... If, if, you know, if previous experience is anything to go by, he will be the link between Suarez and Messi and the and the medular, and the midfield line, and um, that is pro quite likely what Valverde is going to do. Not something that I would do, I would just put my best formation, my best players out, and uh, be sort of faithful to a traditional style, but I really honestly don't see Valverde doing that, so for me it's a 4-4-2 with Paulinho running the show in the middle. Insert disappointing remark here. Well, speaking of disappointment, I'll give you a little bit of softball question here. Marlon B. asked on Twitter, do you guys see any possibility of Neymar coming back? Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. He's gone. Um, he, there will be no point whatsoever. Um, he's not going to come back for 5 million euros, is he? So, now nah, he wanted to leave us. He's obviously really enjoying the French League and doing fantastically well, playing against Gingamp and Lille and Nice and all of those teams. So, just let him enjoy that. And, um, yeah, no. No, no, no need to come back. Oh, you don't, you don't want to start any of these rumors about Messi going to Manchester City for five hundred billion, and then Barcelona returning to get Neymar, and you know, you don't want to uh, want to jump down those rabbit holes. Not this week. Um, let's, let's try. Let's wait until next week. See, see what happens. Right. So I guess that sets up the La Gran Pregunta for episode fifty-three. Um, will Messi immediately go to Manchester City in January? And how will Kules deal with Neymar's return to Barcelona? You heard, you heard it here first. This is this is the big news that we're going to have. But instead, another transfer that's actually likely, and by actually likely, I mean is heavily being reported currently. And that is Gerard Delafeu potentially making a return to AC Milan in the winter as he is not featuring currently for FC Barcelona. He's tried his best, hasn't he? You know, he's a La Masia graduate. He was, as we talked about, I think it was episode 50 that we talked about him at length. Um, he's tried his best. He's remained true to the player that he is and he has been and he wants to be. He's just not really working out for him. He's getting frustrated. So um, I would say if Milan come back with a reasonable offer for him. You know, we play, we pay 12 million for him in the summer. He clearly is a very fit, strong, physical guy that could unbalance a team and add a lot at the front. But um, I don't think that he's a long-term solution for Barca. So any money that can come in and help us towards signing someone that we really desperately do need um, would be welcome. So I would wish him all the best, but um, I would be very happy to get some investment back for the Olufeu. And that was a question from Eric Cozy. And that'll wrap it up as well. 
as we want to thank you for listening again to another edition of the Barcelona Podcast, bringing the hottest breaking stories from the camp. No, anything else, Francesc, before we wrap this up? No, I just want to say thank you to everyone who listens to the show. Uh, I know that lots of people retweet and share. Um, I haven't said, we started Instagram this, this week. Um, hopefully someone's following us there. <laughs> I haven't actually checked, so, you know, please find out and tweet me and see if you are following. Um, so, yeah, we're now on Instagram and uh, we're working towards being on Spotify in the next couple of weeks as well. So um, you will be able to share our show with even more of your Barca friends in different platforms. But um, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for being there. You basically mean everything to us. And that says all we need to say is we thank you for listening again and Forza Barca. Forza! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.